And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. I want to read the first 13 verses of that chapter. So Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. We are thinking about Pentecost today. So I invite you to stand as we read the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. I want us to think about the thought, the spirit-filled church. And you may be seated. Several years ago, when we were pastoring in southern Indiana, our youth group at the church was given tickets to an Indiana Pacers game. Now, it was at Marcus Square Arena then, so that tells you how long ago it's really been. But on the appointed day, we loaded up about 10 to 12 youth, and we drove to Indianapolis. Now, I'm going to confess something this morning, and for some of you, it's going to sound like heresy, but I'm not a sports person, pretty much. So I was going along uh, to the ball game, really more about giving the youth the opportunity and to experience the ball game. And for me, it was just kind of the experience in and of itself, not really the sport. And it was quite the experience. We walked into that arena, and I was somewhat mesmerized by, by it all. Kind of the ambiance of the arena, the excitement of the crowds, the, the sense of thrill and expectation in the air. But all of that paled to the opening ceremony. The opening ceremony started, like most, with announcements and the singing of the Star-Spangled Banner and the introduction of the starting lineup. But then, it was a moment to remember when the Pacers mascot began to come into the arena. You see the music begin to blare with these words, Ladies and gentlemen, 
Welcome to the main event. And the music, let's get ready to rumble, begin to blare. And from the rafters, Boomer began to uh, kind of like rappel through air to come down to the court. And there he was, and the crowds went hysterical. And I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. It seemed to be an uncontrollable sense of excitement and energy and enthusiasm. And when it all died down, the, the ball game was getting ready to start. But I wonder, I wondered, if maybe to some degree that what was happening there was just a glimpse of what might have been happening in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. You see, the believers had gone back to Jerusalem and gathered in the upper room to tarry. And they had just come from the ascension. They were waiting there. They elected a replacement for Judas, which was Matthias. And I think in their minds, they were probably thinking, what now? I suspect they were asking questions. What's going to happen? When is it going to happen? There's no doubt that they remembered the promise of Jesus from John 14 when he said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. When was that going to happen? And then I think the words during the ascension echoed in their minds, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. When's it going to happen? And I think echoing through their minds were those questions. What was going to happen? When was it going to happen? How was it going to happen? And suddenly it happened. The Bible says that suddenly, like the sound of a rushing mighty wind from heaven, it came, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw tongues of fire come down and separate and rest upon each of them. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In that very moment, they were empowered. They were equipped. They were enabled that they would be able to live out the Christ whom they knew and the Christ whom they professed. And in that moment, they were filled with power that enabled them with a boldness that they would go out and they would be the witnesses that Jesus told them they would be. And for all practical purposes, the early church was in formation. In that moment, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were filled with power, they became the church. And I thought about that, and I thought about the, some, the idea that it's this Holy, the Holy Spirit that empowers the church to be the church. And there's some great truths in this passage that I think we need to grasp onto as a holy people and as a church. So the first thing is simply this. The believers were all together in one place. The believers were all together in one place. It's important, I think, for us to conceptualize what that really means. Physically, they were together 
in one place. We know that. We, knew, we know they were in the upper room. We know that they had gone there after the ascension to Terry, and it was the original 11, Matthias, the brothers of Jesus, Mary, other men and women, about 120, the Bible tells us. And there they were physically together waiting to see what God was going to do. But it would be easy for us to miss this truth, that they were also together in spirit. They were there uh, not just physically, but they were there with one heart, one mind, and one spirit. We read throughout the early parts of Acts as we read about the church. Acts 2 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Acts chapter 4 says to us, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And what this suggests to us is that the believers weren't just gathered there physically, but they were gathered there in unity. They were gathered there with one heart, one mind, one spirit that they could focus on what God wanted to do in and through them. They had a common purpose, they had a common vision, and they had common goals, and they were there to see what God was going to do in their midst to enable them to be the church that he was bringing in to formation. I believe this morning that that's an important truth for the church today. Believers, you, me, we need to be together in one place. And I think that does mean physically, that we need to uh, come together for corporate worship. We need to get together for discipleship. We need to fellowship one with another. We need to be with other believers. I think there's a reason that the writer of Hebrews said, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And it goes on to say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. It kind of gives us the purpose of the church to spur one another on in love and good deeds and not forsake meeting together because we really do need to be encouraging one another. And so the value of corporate worship and discipleship and fellowship comes through in the Scripture that we need to do that in our lives. But the other piece of this is that, is that we need to be together one in spirit and in unity and in attitude and heart and love. And we need to come together with a common purpose and a common vision and a common goals without the factions and the divisions and the cliques that so easily develop in the church. And we need to be focused on the person of the Spirit of God at work in our lives and what He wants to do. We're living in a day and age that we call postmodern. We live in a postmodern era. And our postmodern culture has taught us that corporate worship is optional. Postmodernity tells us that there are many pathways to God. And I can choose to know God and worship God and honor God any way I want to. And consequently, 
We live in a day when people who call themselves believers seldom, if ever, attend corporate worship or participate in discipleship or enjoy the fellowship of believers because postmodernity has taught us that we can do it a different way. We can do it our way, and we really don't need the church. Well, that's not true. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the disciples were together in one place, one spirit, one heart, one attitude, waiting with a sense of expectation about what God was going to do in their midst. And we today, the church, need to understand that we need to be together in one place, physically and with one attitude and one heart and one mind, that we can, with a unified sense of expectancy, discover what God wants to do in our midst. Now, the second truth in this passage is that the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the whole scripture is about, in a way. But Pentecost happened. And the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those believers. And in that instantaneous moment, the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened. God came upon them in a real and a wonderful way. And he sent the advocate, the comforter, the counselor, the one that he told them he was going to send them, who would not only remind them of everything that they have been taught, but would teach them the things that they needed to know to honor him with their lives. And he would fill them with power, equipping them and enabling them to be this church that he was bringing into fruition. And he filled them with a boldness that enabled them to be witnesses of the kingdom of God. And what happened in this moment is God gave the believers not only the credential, but the courage to be the church. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. And the truth for us this morning is simply this, that God still pours out His Holy Spirit on believers today. He still does it. And we may not feel wind, and we may not see tongues of fire, but we can take confidence in the fact that for believers who will receive it, God still pours out His Holy Spirit. And He fills our hearts and our lives with His life-changing power, and He gives us what we need. He equips us and He enables us to live the Christian life that we want to profess. As believers, it's hard for us to do that if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. As much as we love God, we still wrestle with our humanity. But God, when he fills us with the Holy Spirit, gives us the power and and equips us, enables us to live the kind of life that he wants us to live. And then he puts within us a boldness to make claims about Christ and to talk about Christ and to live Christ and be Christ to those around us. And the truth of the gospel this morning is that for every believer who's willing to completely surrender to God and welcome the Holy Spirit into their lives, he will fill their hearts and their lives with the Holy Spirit. And what needs to happen in the church is her people need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence is here. Where two or three are gathered, he is in the midst. 
But what he wants to do is to work in the hearts and lives of the individuals who are part of the corporate worship and a part of the discipleship and a part of the fellowship. He wants to fill their hearts with power so that he can use them to be the church. And here's the truth. When that happens, lives are transformed. And when lives are transformed, it transforms churches. And transformed churches transform communities. But it begins in the heart and the life of an individual who is willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If the church is going to be the church that God has called us to be, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. A third truth in this passage, and it goes all the way to the 13th verse, the believers were accused of being under the influence. All right, think about that for a moment. But when the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, God did something dynamic in their life. And the next thing we read that happens is they went out and they started to evangelize the city. They were told they'd be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other most parts of the earth. And here they were in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came. It was during a time of the, of the Jewish feast of Pentecost where they had come together to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. And there were people in Jerusalem from all over the regions speaking all kinds of dialects. And so here was this massive group of people in Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost. And God came and the disciples, those 120, they went out and they began to proclaim Christ. And the Bible says that the people heard them in their own language. So rather, all of those disciples learned a new language just by the infilling the presence of the Holy Spirit or where people were hearing it as God was interpreted at them for them. However it happened, people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. And they, they were bewildered. They were taken back by it. They, they couldn't make sense out of it because how could all of these Galileans be speaking all of these different languages or how could we be hearing in our own language from these Galileans but they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that some of them made fun of the believers and said they had too much wine. These, these folks been in that upper room just tilting the bottle. They are, they've had too much wine and they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. And we didn't read it, but later in the book of Acts, the Bible says that Peter got up before the people and he said to them, these people are not drunk as you think they are. He's, and I think he told them about the Holy Spirit and he preached to them about repentance. And the Bible says later in chapter 2 that on that day, about 3,000 were added to their number. Think about it. The Holy Spirit comes upon those believers and empowers them to do what they do. And they go out and they begin to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God used that to win about 3,000 people that day. 3,000 people gave their hearts and lives to Christ. You see, when believers in the church are filled with the Holy Spirit... God will use them. That's the truth. 
And God empowers us to live out the Christ we profess. If we say we're a believer, but we never let that out, what does it really say about our faith? But when God comes and he fills us with the Holy Spirit and he equips and enables us, then he uses us. One of the sad paradoxes of our day is that the church proclaims to know Christ and the church proclaims to be filled with the power of God, but in some ways is seemingly ineffective outside of its four walls. We're experiencing in this culture in which we live what's called the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the rise of the nuns. And literally, research has shown us that people in drastic numbers are turning away from the church and they're turning away from religion. And the attitudes and the values and the beliefs of post-modernity have become so strong in our culture that it's becoming the cultural norm. And so now we live in an era where church is not only just optional, but for the church that does exist, there is very little sense of bewilderment that comes with the church. The people here were bewildered when they saw what had happened by the Holy Spirit, but there's not a lot of bewilderment in our day. And to make matters worse, some people say the church is out of date, old-fashioned, behind the times, not relevant. And people look at the church and they say, I don't need the church anymore. But the truth is, they do. And we need to continue being the church. And we as the church, even though people may mock us a little bit, need to take heart. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and when people persecute you and say falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. And even though the world in its postmodern worldview and the idea that people look at the church and say it's no longer relevant, it's no longer important, it is. And they're going to say those things. But Jesus said, blessed are you when that happens because what you have is the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and be Christ and change the world. And so regardless of what people think, say, or do, We need to be a spirit-filled people that God can use to transform the world. The truth is, we need to be under the influence. That's probably something you never thought you'd hear a preacher say, right? I'm not talking about worldly influences or the toxicity of vices and ideologies. I'm talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be equipped, and we need to be enabled to live faithfully and be empowered to let God do what he wants to do through us. And it's only when we do that that we can be the church that God has called us to be. So this spirit-filled church, the believers were together in one place, The believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the believers were accused of being under the influence. And they were the Holy Spirit. 
Pentecost was the main event. It was the main event in Jerusalem that day. And the church that was born on the day of Pentecost is still the church today. It still is. And we are that church. And we need to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that we're willing to take bold actions and make bold claims for the cause of Christ. Even if the world looks at us and says they're under the influence. They're crazy. They're out of date. They're behind the times. It doesn't matter what the world says because we're called as the church to stand firm, to stand strong, and to stand tall for Jesus Christ. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that. And we need the Holy Spirit personally in our lives to fill us and then collectively as the church, God uses that to change the world. We need to be a spirit-filled church. So our praise.